War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Welcome to Band Book Club. We're your hosts, Rafaela, Nick, and Nicholas. So that quote Nicola was giving at the beginning was from George Orwell's 1984, a totally groundbreaking book, to say the least. It defined the dystopian genre, which you see everywhere today in books like The Handmaiden's Tale and a million other things. And it rocked my world, honestly. I saw there was so much that you could relate to, especially living in the... I guess we're in the 2020s now, but through the 2010s, through the 2000s, and wow, I mean... It was totally ahead of its time, that's for sure. For a book that came out in 1949, you know, it it could have been written last year. It was a book that I got introduced about a couple of weeks ago, and I finished it in about three or four days, which um, I'm very proud of myself. And the reason for it is because it was so interesting... I didn't want to put it down. It was a page turner. It was a page turner. Well, it was your first time reading it. Me and Rafi, it was part of our curriculum in school, which it's not the case for everybody in America. It, it is a banned book, after all. It's, it's our first book we're discussing on Banned Book Podcast. But I was talking to Rafi earlier and saying, you know, I I don't think this is a book that a high school age kid could even appreciate. So I'm I'm just so glad that both of us got to come back to it as you know pseudo grown-ups and yeah definitely it definitely felt different because you know when you read this in school you're just trying to do assignments or write a paper about it this time I could really just dive in and and think about it for myself without trying to answer questions along with it yeah this is definitely an adult book adult themes uh, a lot of themes in this book but the main one I would say is the government and I guess if you take the message of the book, it's that all governments end in misery and suffering. But before we get deeper into that, let's just give a little bit of background on the actual story. So this is a fictional book. It's set in a world, a state called Oceania, which is modeled not so loosely off of the USSR under Stalin, The main character is Winston Smith, who works for one of the ministries in this government, the Ministry of Truth, and his job is to basically tailor information to the narrative of what the party, or Big Brother, there's a lot of names for the antagonistic force in this book, but basically Winston is editing information to fit a lie, a big lie that the government is trying to sell to everybody living in Oceania. And the conflict comes from the fact that, you know, while Winston is part of the problem, he's the one actually editing information, he also senses that something is really wrong with Oceania and the way it's run, and he's trying to reconcile the inhumane authoritarian system with his own feelings as a person, and that leads him into trouble, especially once he starts to pursue a relationship with this woman named Julia, and as he starts to learn what the government's true definition of obedience is, which he does learn pretty good by the end of the book, but 
only after he's lost his mind and pretty much everything else. So now that we've got that out of the way, where do you guys want to start with this one? Let's talk about uh, why it was banned. Yeah, well, like I mentioned, this is a book about heavily about government, and governments across the world did not take too kindly to the message of this book. And what's interesting it was it's not just you know the Stalinist socialist governments that this was a sort of critique of, um, at least the most on-the-nose critique of, but also places like the U.S. too. It was banned there. Um, it was banned in Russia. It, it was even challenged uh, just back in 2017 again in America. So wh- why do you think um, this book is has been bothering people for so long and continues to? I mean, it's not, especially back then, it wasn't very difficult to ban a book as long as... Uh um any book was supporting any communism. communism yeah 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 that was during the red scare and all of that stuff yeah it makes sense that it was banned in a place like russia because obviously it's making it look extremely negative and it's almost encouraging people to kind of break away and and not follow and rebel and so it doesn't surprise me that it would be banned and burned in a place like that And I thought it was interesting that they finally wanted to allow it back into Russia after edits were made. And so it almost just kind of copies what the book is teaching where, you know, information is is rewritten or deleted. And and so basically they were doing that exact same thing. Now, for America, it is kind of interesting that it's, you know, banned here just because it seemed like a book that would show you how wrong all of that was and it kind of proves the point of the book that the fact that you're banning it yeah and 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 so just to know it was banned here for being pro-communist doesn't you know i guess i personally did not get that sense from the book that it was supporting that kind of an idea or making it look good and then um obviously they say it's very violent and sexually charged which you know there are a lot of i guess sexual themes throughout the book but Nothing that I considered to be, you know, too much to read. Yeah, that was the charge back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've stopped arguing against the book as being pro-communist since the first time it was challenged back in the 50s or whatever. Yeah, it's it's interesting that it, it's able to piss off uh, completely opposite styles of governments across the world. Also, from from what you were talking about with the, the edits made to the Russian edition, w- wouldn't you like to get your hands on one of those, the edited yeah, version? Yeah, I'd actually love to read that and see what yeah. what exactly, the, how could you make that story, you know, so different that it's, I'm, I guess I'm just curious to know what the heck did the they The whole fix? story was about socialism. I know. How can you change that? I don't know. Was it was it just a satire on socialism or was do you think it was a slam against government in general just the concept of government because i think that's a a very interesting discussion the main idea that i took from the book is uh, how bad socialism can be yeah but the one of the interesting things about that is orwell was a outspoken socialist himself but he also has been uh, you know recorded condemning socialism too so that that was part of the interesting thing to me reading this is i was trying to figure out, you know, where is this guy coming from? 
on this issue? What's he really trying to say? I found about that after I read the book, and it still uh, messes with my mind. I, I'm trying to figure out why he wrote a book like this. It's it's very confusing. It is it is confusing because you know it shows you how his main character really wanted to break free and have an individual thought, and and you know he he realized something was wrong with the way he was living and he found someone that kind of shared the same values as him. And so just to know that he was a socialist himself or, you know, was pro socialist. Yeah. Maybe, maybe because he supported it so much, maybe he, he wanted to show people this is the best thing to do. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't just like a liberal arts school level socialist like you see today kids in college he really put his money where his mouth was if you you look at some of his biography he even fought with the uh, socialist militia during the spanish civil war and there was actually a bounty put on his head and he had to flee to france to avoid that i don't know i still um i still have trouble pinning down his real opinion which i think that's a mark of a great book if it's not just obvious you know the author's trying to spoon-feed me, you know, this kind of idea. I wish he could have uh, lived a little bit longer so he can answer some of these questions. Yeah. <laughs> he actually uh, died about seven months after from uh, TB. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a whole nother story, too. A whole nother. That's, that's not a good thing to say. If anybody cares about language listening to that, don't say a whole nother. It's just redundant. But... Yeah, the composition of the book. Do you want to get into that a little yeah. bit? So before Orwell started this book, his first wife had just died of, just, I think it was a anesthesia overdose. Her doctors mismanaged while she was getting some routine operation. So that messed him up a little bit. And then he actually got tuberculosis, which he would end up dying from. And um, he moved to this remote scottish outpost and started writing this book and it he said his main inspiration was the tehran conference from 1944 where uh churchill and all the allied leaders met he he started the project off with the title uh, the last man in europe and he sent a bit of it to his editor and really didn't have the intention even of finishing it because you know he's he was dying but uh his editor wrote him back very quickly and said, you know, basically, I don't really care that you're dying. You got to finish this book. It's going to make us a lot of money. You're going to be famous and the world needs to see it. So he was really racing against his own, you know, mortality to finish this thing. And, and he, he even said that, you know, the book maybe wouldn't have been so dark and, and depressing if he weren't having such a hard time writing it. And so you definitely get that from And you yeah, you totally get that from book. the book. As, yeah, no, as it's you go, a yeah. very real feeling in the book that's filled with death and hopelessness. Suffering and, and um And he was also challenged uh, one more time during the period um that he was writing the book. Uh he almost died uh with his um nephews, um nephews and nieces, I think. They went for a boat ride and they almost almost drowned. Yeah, yeah. he almost drowned. But you can tell he was just so influenced by the world he was living in. I mean, that's another crazy thing going on in his life. I mean, imagine writing a book while, you know, World War II is coming to a close. But 
he obviously was heavily influenced by Hitler's Nazi Germany and Stalin's Soviet Union. And you can definitely, you get some similarities from, you know, some of those things, uh, like, for example, the thought police who govern the people and, and enforce... Or the rallies. Yeah, enforce the all the rules. Police, yeah, and, too. They're like the Gestapo or yeah, the KGB. And the, yeah, two minutes hate where you just scream at your enemy, which when this book was Goldstein and nobody really understood, you know, who Goldstein was, why they all hate him. But, you know, the whole like Oceania's people would just come together from all the different ministries and just scream at a picture of Goldstein. And um, it's just, again, you, you, you hear about all these people in history and you're just told to hate somebody and you don't really know too much about them. Yeah, especially the rallies where they're just, it's everybody yelling at the picture of Goldstein and they don't know why. Mm-hmm. Anybody who has parents that watch the news, I think, could be able to relate to that scene. You know, just you see a picture of whoever the media tells you is the bad guy and you scream and then they show you the good guy, like Big Brother in this book, and then you're happy. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before we continue, a quick interruption. Want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode? Well, check out Bookshop. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. And actually, you know, in this world, you know, there are these telescreens that watch everybody and, and, and see everything. And Big Brother, he his face always shows on the screen, too. And there are pictures of him everywhere, plastered on the walls. And they say that the way his face looks was supposed to be reminiscent to Joseph Stalin's face that was seen in the Soviet Union. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he kind of took that idea. I also read that uh, he got the inspiration for the the face and the character of Big Brother from Winston Churchill, which again, you know, he's the opposite end of the political spectrum. Yeah, for sure. Stalin. And, and you said so. that when, when uh, Winston Churchill read the book, he... Yeah, totally he actually loved, loved it. it. <laughs> so, so I think it's that that goes to my point of saying earlier, where I I really don't know what he was trying to say. Um, I don't think it's fair to say this is a pro or an anti-communist book because it. I mean, it's just pieces of all the different types of governments are in this book, and I think he's criticizing all of them. Do you think at the end of his life he didn't believe in socialism anymore? And he was trying to to actually tell a story to explain to people how bad it can be if they let it happen. How bad socialism could be or just socialism. government in general? Like if it's socialism. at its extreme, this is yeah. what could happen. Do you think he That's at the I end of his life got. he realized that this is not this is not working right? I, I should warn them kind of thing? Well, yeah, I do think the book is... I don't think it's... You can just reduce it down to this it's saying 
communism good or communism bad. I think, especially if you look at his life, this is just a book written by a guy that has a problem with any kind of system of authority or government. I mean, he was a a weird, free-spirited kid from the beginning. I remember reading um, when he was just a little boy, he he had his head, uh, he was standing on his head in the middle of a field, and someone came up to him and said, what are you doing? And he said, people notice you more if you stand on your head than if you just stand normally. And um, He was a weirdo. Yeah, it's kind of a... And, and he was also a police officer. Yeah. He worked he, for police. And, and before that, he went to um, boarding school, and uh, he had a lot of problems there. An essay came out of that that's a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm learning about it right now in a nonfiction class, but it's called Such Such Were the Joys, and that's basically a, a criticism of the you know, authority in the school system there. Then, like you said, yeah, he was a police officer in India. He spent a lot of times a lot of time in huge prisons and he commented later about his work as an officer and he said he he totally yeah, regretted he hated it. it. Yeah. And then at the same time he was well shortly after that he was literally a member of the socialist militia in the Spanish Civil War. And um but I I think the um the most autobiographical part of his life that's in 1984 is when he was working for the BBC as a as a reporter, uh, did you see the similarities there between yeah. Winston? He was actually changing um, facts, right? Yeah, he well allegedly he was he he was working during World War II, and he was reporting on different incidents, and a lot of his stuff would get rejected, and they would say this doesn't fit the narrative that we're trying to go for right now. And he would have to jolly it up kind of and make it more about like, Oh, great mother England is doing great. And, you know, forget about the, you know, all these people getting murdered and whatnot. But so you could say that, uh, his whole book is basically pieces of his life. Yeah. I mean, I think like, like any good fiction, you know, it's, it's a lie and, you know, from one way of looking at it, but it's, it's also somebody writing about what they really know. And if you can pull that off, you can make something that's actually true. He definitely did. Yeah. For sure. So obviously this book is extremely controversial. I mean, it was banned, but um, we can talk about a little bit how, you know, even today it's still controversial. Um, This book, I think since we've been in, you know, quarantine and all, you know, it's come up a lot, and a lot of people are rereading this book, so we're not alone here. But Did you see the PragerU video? Well, not just PragerU, but, you know, other uh, um, Outlets. people people on different sides, on opposite sides, will reference this book and, and say how relatable it is to today's times. And so, you know, obviously they mean different things, but, you know, they all use it for their own means. Yeah, that that was one of the, I'm not going to go on too long about this, but that was one of the fascinating things uh, that I realized, you know, about this book still going on right now in 2020. People have been co-opting the the story here of Winston and Oceania for their own political gain, pretty much. I mean, like I said earlier, I've seen PragerU talk about this story. And they say, you know, the left is big brother. 
the ride is Winston. I've seen CNN do stuff on it. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Martin Luther King. I've seen people that are completely on opposite sides of politics and they say, well, Dr. King would want, if he was around, he would be ashamed of this and he would like this. And then the other people say, no, he would like this and he wouldn't like this. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting how people, yeah, interpret it differently, you know, compared to, you know, maybe the way I took it, you know. There, There is even an interview with uh, Snowden that he actually said that the government is spying on us uh, worse than the book. I'm sure. I mean, think about all the times, you know, you download something or you download an app and it shows you the terms and conditions and you just scroll to the bottom and press OK. And there was a great <laughs> South Park episode about that. Yes. You always have to read the terms and conditions. That's for sure. But yeah, I mean, we all have our cell it's phones. Unbe- it's unbelievable how much uh, data we give yeah. to to apps, to the government, to companies every single day uh, without us having any problem about it. We don't, we don't mind at all. We don't even realize. It. Yeah. Well, the reason is because it makes it so much easier. It makes our life easier. But they're listening all the time. I, I think that's that's a, there's actually a really interesting little nugget in there, because you know we we talked about how the book is obviously a critique of governments, but I think it's also a critique of the people living in governments. You know, there, it's obviously not fair for them when it's, you know, the government is corrupt. But the people themselves, if you look at the characters in the book, uh, what, what was that guy that he, he loved to eat the, the little meat cubes? Um, he, you, he popped up at the end when Winston was going into room 101. Oh, yeah. No, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, well, his name isn't important, but I think that character was like the stand-in for the rest of the actual normal people in the society. And my point here is that, you know, not everybody, I think Orwell is saying, is like Winston, where they have that spark where they know something isn't right. I think actually what he's saying is most people in this in the society kind of like what's going on. They yeah. don't mind giving up all these freedoms. They don't mind being watched. Um, they're pretty th- much complicit. Yeah, they're complicit. Uh, they kind of want it even. And uh, I don't know, that was one thing that was that hit very hard for me during the book and made me it was kind of a burning little piece of satire well you did mention they went to room 101 together and the character is parsons um and you know he seems like somebody that's totally okay with everything that's going on he's excited to eat the terrible food he's always excited to uh watch the screens and do their little exercises but he's like that really annoying guy you meet at work that loves his job and, and it's always perky. And his like, kids, his kids are junior spies, so they they help tattle on people. In the anti-sex they, they, league. Yeah, they, they love the idea of spying to people. Mm-hmm. Finding that someone is actually thinking something wrong yeah. and catching them. And they live out of it. A little spoiler so you can skip ahead 10 seconds, but uh, Parsons actually in his sleep says he hates Big Brother and he wants him to die and his kids hear it. And so then he's sent away and then he's so sorry that that happened. He, he can't even believe he did that. And so he's actually thankful that he's being pun- he's like, I'm punished. Glad they found me. Yeah, I'm proud of like, my daughter. <laughs> yeah, he, he can't even get mad at his own kid for doing that to him. And so you just really see how, how brainwashed. Yeah, that was. That and was he sad. was asking them to help him. Yeah. To help him go through to help, this. Yeah, rehabilitate him. 
Yeah, he, I'm sick. Mm. Now that was horrible. That was crazy. This book definitely, like we said in the beginning, you know, if you haven't read the book, you've definitely seen it referenced in other things. Um, you know, obviously it, it's that classic dystopian future and, you know, Black Mirror, the show definitely has some episodes that remind you of 1984 and, uh, the book Brave New World is very similar to this book. Um, like you said, Handmaiden's Tale. But anyways, it definitely it influenced put dystopian, a lot of... dystopian fiction on the map. Yeah, really. and it actually created words, like we said, Orwellian words. So you've heard the concept Big Brother, Room 101, The Thought Police, A Thought Crime, Double Think, Newspeak, and Unperson Memory Holes. So... Um, Definitely, we've all heard that. So if you've ever heard that, that's where it came from. But um, it also influenced David Bowie's music. He actually wanted to um, do a musical production of 1984. But, that would have been awesome. But, I'm sure. but Orwell's widow refused to give out the rights. We've all seen that famous commercial. It was in. It actually came out in 1984 when the Macintosh, uh, Apple's first computer was coming out. And they said 1984 won't be like 1984. And they were kind of suggesting that because everybody had to use IBM PC. I mean, that was the, right? That was the first computer. That was the main much, computer. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't believe uh, Nicola is such an Apple freak and he had never heard of that commercial. I know, it's so famous. Well, again, it's not very... Maybe even even if I watched it before, like when I was younger... I w- it wouldn't even register in my mind because I never read the book. I, I don't know what it meant because it said that it would not be like 1984. Well, it's it's one of the most famous commercials over here, at least. I took a little design ad class in uh, college once and they made us watch that. And, you know, it's just kind of ironic now that Apple's become so big and is probably involved in some of this surveillance stuff, too. That that I mean, the, the list from the other companies. Yeah. We, we should say that. The list. <laughs> the list. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was funny. I'm sorry. What what else was... Um, well, and then obviously influence? they made a movie out of it in the 50s, but um, we all watched the movie that came out in 1984 where the Eurythmics did the whole soundtrack for the album. I mean, for the, for the movie. And so... I thought personally the movie was very similar to the book. I thought it captured that exact feeling. Definitely left a lot of scenes out. I it know left a lot out with O'Brien. O'Brien, um, yeah, you didn't you didn't really get to him or get to see him towards the middle slash end of the movie, but um, yeah, I thought you know because usually when a book has a movie made out of it, it doesn't really feel the same. It, you know, they leave too much out or they completely change the story. So I thought this movie definitely did a good job. I have to agree with you. Um, it was it was very uh, straightforward. It was maybe too much straightforward that they had, of course, they had to leave some parts out. It makes sense. Uh, there is no time in a movie to add all the details. But I think they should have uh, concentrated more on O'Brien. Because it was a big part in the book. Yeah, it was a huge part of the book. The the whole connection between O'Brien and um, uh, Winston, it was it was a very interesting uh, connection that they had, and the way they spoke to each other, and and what happened afterwards between them. It was missing. All of this was missing from the movie. But I have to say, they sticked on the story, and I'm happy about it. 
Well, we've seen quite a few movie adaptations of books at this point, and I think we we all pretty much agree they almost always fall short. Yeah, or, I agree. Or, you know, way, way far away from what the book was. But this one, at least for me, it got the feeling. They didn't sense it, and it was dark as the book. Well, maybe from this point on, the podcast might get a little spoilery. So Yeah, we're going to discuss a little bit more, more open about the, the book. So obviously, if, you, if you've read the book, the emotional climax is after Winston is caught with Julia. They've been having sex for quite a while. And they get caught and they're both taken off to the Ministry of Truth. Ministry of Love Ministry captures of, okay, them yeah, because that's the, the thought police. Yeah, and uh, before they're separated, uh, you know, they're in love with each other and they say, they can't make me not love you. Uh, the but, fact that they even feel love is... Yeah. Yeah, they can't <laughs> take it away from them. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's very idealistic and you're kind of rooting for both of them. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive, but when I when I got to that part, I was like, yeah, there's no way they're going to make them not love each other. But uh, they definitely do. Um, they, I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, You were like, because, because actually Winston, there's a line that he's saying to here that he was questioning it. He was like, they cannot make me not wanting you, not loving you, not, you know, uh, they can't make me forget you. And she was like, of course, of course they cannot do that. Yeah, of course. And I think if... Yeah, once once they're captured um, and they're trying to break down Winston and they're kind of describing what they're going to do to him and, you know, he's, he's brought to that room or... He's first uh, tortured. Yeah, he went through a lot yeah. before the First he's tortured oh, yeah. before he goes to room 101. And um, as they're, yeah, they're electrocuting right? him. And as he's being electrocuted, he shouts out like, do this to Julia. Like, don't do it to me. Um, let her, it's all her fault. And I guess it's so... That wasn't when the rats came later? No, um, no, I think... He no, did no, it I think, for both. Yeah, it was at the end when they were electrocuting him. And that's where I think uh, he's stated that. But it's just so, you know, not to get super deep here, but that's such a human thing to do. You just don't want anything bad to happen to you. You're not even thinking about the other person. Um, and but, you, but he fought for it. He for really a little bit. No, no, for quite a while. Yeah, but it he is, really went through a lot. Well, that's the thing is, I think if uh, if Orwell was a less ballsy writer and if he was worried about selling this book to a wider audience, he would have gone for an ending where, you know, love conquered everything. And even though Winston was tortured, he still loved Julia. But uh, he does take you to rock bottom and shows you Winston where he's broken and where he does, like you said, Rafi, he says, you know, take Julia instead of me. And that that was the the punch in the gut for me of this book. I remember I was halfway in the book and I turned to you and I said, well, I know what is going to happen. And you told me, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, well, clearly he's going to die. And you were like, oh, oh. There's there's worse things than dying. Yeah, that's exactly what you said. There are worse things than that. Yeah, it would have actually been happier if he just died. I kind of wish he just died. Um, That would have been better. Yeah, to to explain that, um, you know, again, if you've read it, you know, he does live... He even meets Julia again in the final scene of the book in this sad little tavern where they're drinking. What was the name of the Victory Gin? Yeah, the Victory Gin. Yeah. And they're both completely reprogrammed at this point. And um, 
they're just talking about how much they love Big Brother, and um, it's heartbreaking. But I, I wanted to go back, uh, backtrack a little to this the part where Winston was being tortured because there was another uh, a little dialogue between him and O'Brien there that I think was so important in the book. It was the two plus two equals five right. exchange where uh, they're just shocking him over and over again. And O'Brien is trying to take him to the point, not where he's just saying, you know, two plus two equals five just to get the torture over with, but to where he actually believes it. He was so confused too at the beginning because he was, O'Brien was asking him two plus two equals, and he was saying four. And he was getting tortured even worse. And at the end, I, I was just thinking, like, just say five, dude. It's it's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would and, do. And he said five, and he was like, no, you don't believe it. Well, he may believe it. Well, I mean, I think that was the part of the core of the message of the book there was, you know, not, I, I want to talk about this later too, the language, but not just manipulating language, but being able to manipulate what people actually believe. And that being the ultimate power that anybody can have yeah, the, any kind of government. The most, uh, well, I mean, not the most famous, but like a very famous quote from the book is, but if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. And so you realize that Big Brother is not, you know, I guess, I mean, I guess he's a physical being, but he's not somebody that's like a giant monster that's going to come kill people and, and smite them with his strength. It's just this ideology where that controls people and that's really the weapon. Yeah, the the weapon is that's the perfect word it that they use to you know manipulate the people with abuse them with is language itself. Cuz language is, you know, what's the point of language? It's for you know transmitting truth to people and meaning. And and another thing in the book is this uh, idea of double think where it's two completely opposite words that come together and so it just completely loses all of its meaning you you don't even nobody really even understands what they're talking about because they shorten words that's another thing they they it's almost like a not a slang but you know they cut words in half and then you just can't even remember what the original word even was yeah still so they're so confused about you know even basic things in life like um man and woman and the idea of reproducing and having children which it's interesting because the people on the the right side of politics that i've i don't mean right like morally right i mean like right republican uh those kind of people that i've seen co-opting this book they say that well that's going on right now because look the left-wing media is saying it's trying to convince you family the family nuclear family and man and woman don't exist but uh you know whether or not that's true i don't know but you see this not just in, in politics, just in general with words. I mean, how many words that were used back in the day have completely, like their meaning is completely changed or words that have been invented, um, slang or texting language or... Yeah, the, the whole goal of the language it was to make it so short. Like every, they had the different... Um, uh, publications, right? The different years and stuff, like the new publication of the um, dictionary kind of thing. Yeah, and you would see this when Winston talked to pretty much anybody in the book besides Julia. Uh, if you just noticed the way they spoke, like 
that guy with the who loved to eat the meat cubes. Parsons. He yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember some of the actual little phrases he used, but he basically spoke like a monkey. He didn't yeah. He didn't use full on sentences. He just like said all these things that Well, he would instead of saying like something tasted good or tasted great, he would say double good. Yeah, or double plus and, Yeah, double plus. Yeah. yeah. And it, that just yeah, that, doesn't make sense. That to me reminded me of text speak and internet speak where everything is things are literally being reduced down to symbols again or how about things that back then were you know there wasn't a problem with it i'm i'm don't have any like specific example here but just things that maybe back then meant something fine like maybe even like a bad word i don't know and then today it's like oh my gosh you can't say that that's horrible and and it's just completely changes meaning or other way around maybe it was something that was regarded as being very negative is now positive yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I was, I got from this book was, you know, obviously how important language is, but I, th- I think it was from Orwell kind of a love letter, <laughs> love letter to language, which I clearly haven't even mastered, and uh, it made me think more about the way I speak and what I'm actually trying to convey to people when I talk and about the weight of words and the real danger of other people, whoever they are, trying to mess with that, whether it's through censorship or, you know, just the blunting of actual conversation. Yeah, I mean, you said um, censorship. It's just in this book... You know, that's just shown it's shown how how horrible it is to, you know, delete people from history or or change uh, what kind of an impact they made in history. Cancel culture. Yeah. And so that, you know, reminded me personally of cancel culture. And, you know, there are so many people right now that you don't even think about anymore, even if they were really important. Like, let's just take somebody like Matt Lauer. I mean, he's been canceled for the right reasons, but. It's just, it's weird to think that someone that was once revered and on the news and really well-respected has just been pretty much erased. I mean, you're never, you're never going to see Matt Lauer as a host of anything. I think this is the most impressive thing that George Orwell was able to, to, predict. to predict. Yeah. Because everything else, the language and stuff, maybe he saw something uh, from back then, changing as he was uh, growing up. And maybe you say he got the idea from there. But this, it's technically exactly the same. You, they don't kill you. They don't remove you. They just change you. They just change you. They, they ruin your life forever. And make you think that it's a good thing at the same time. Yeah. And everybody roots for it. I mean, and it's, it gets taken even further than someone like, you know, Matt Lauer. How about the removal of all the monuments lately and... You know, they're rewriting right. textbooks for school, which, again, we're, we're not going to comment on whether that's good or bad. But, uh, it, but it's, it's something but no, that but you, you see. see yeah, you see you it every see day. This, yeah. yeah, you see this yeah. today, and it definitely started in <laughs> George Orwell's vision of 1984. So it just shows how ahead of his time he really was. Well, that's why this, this book was perfect for, you know, first episode of the Band Book Club, because really at the core i think it's a book about censorship it's the ultimate ultimate anti-censorship book i don't know if you could read through this and by the end 
not see how important it is to expose yourself to all kinds of ideas. Yeah, like li- go ahead and read it, watch it, and make a decision for yourself whether it's good or bad. You know, don't don't just do like they did with the two minutes hate where you just hate something without even opening it or, or looking into it. You know, kind of just look at into it for yourself and make your own decision. Don't about fall it. into the tribalism. Just you know what everybody's doing around you, what they think, what they're angry at, what they like and don't like. Use your mind to think. Yeah, read. Don't don't let someone else like media or the government to to make you take the decisions that you want in life. Just think about it. Read everything. Talk to everyone and and especially the the people in the books and the art and the writing that makes you upset. Find out why that makes you upset. Find make, out Yeah, make sure you have all the facts. And then you can take a decision and make your argument about it. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Check out our show notes and follow us on social media. And uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. <laughs>